You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Rabbi Jonathan Golson, well, oy vey, where where do I begin? <laughs> he is the ethics ninja, uh, as well as, quote, a fundamentalist hitchhiker. Both of those monikers warrant a little more explanation, but less cryptically, he's the author of six or seven books. His uh, latest is due out this month. That one is going to be called The Spiral of Time, Discovering New Insights and Inspiration in the Jewish Calendar. He is a TEDx speaker, a keynote speaker with 3,000 years of experience, not literal, of course, but referring to the 3,000 plus years of wisdom and traditions and storytelling in Judaism. He's a world traveler. He's been a teacher. We were both recipients of the 2002 Biz Catalyst Radiance Award for Storytelling Excellence. Yay, us. <laughs> and as I mentioned, he is a learned rabbi and scholar. I could have him on the show for any of that stuff. But my rationale for asking him on today stemmed from a single question, which uh, we, we will get to momentarily. He joins me now from St. Louis. Welcome to the program, Rabbi Jonathan Goldson. Thank you, Mark. That was a very interesting introduction. <laughs> well, I like to let people know I do my homework and uh, and um yeah, and when and and there's so much. You got, there's actually a lot of more accolades I could have listed there. So that's the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> Less is more. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Before I get to my big question, uh, explain to folks why you are the Ethics Ninja, and explain uh, briefly about the hitchhiking rabbi. Well, let me take the uh, the second one first. Um, I um, I graduated from the University of California with a degree in English. What does one do with a degree in English? I took mine and set off hitchhiking cross country. There you go. I wanted to um, I wanted to add some street smarts to my to my book smarts, hmm. and wanted to put myself in a situation where I had to be challenged day by day. Uh, when I finished doing that, I crossed the Atlantic, went backpacking across Europe, and eventually ended up in Israel, and where that's where through a series of unlikely um, events, I reconnected, not really reconnected, but connected with my Jewish origins. I was raised with really no sense of my Jewishness at all, just knew I was Jewish. But I discovered this vibrant culture of deep thought and, and uh, community and higher purpose. And that has uh, directed the course of my life for the last uh, 35 years or more. Mm. I met my wife, had our first two children in Israel, and then uh, embarked on my teaching career uh, I just wanted to teach the wisdom I had discovered to young people. Uh, so I taught for a year in Budapest, Hungary, two years in Atlanta, Georgia, and 20 years in St. Louis, where I live now. Retired in 2016 to start my speaking and consulting business, uh, taking the universal principles of Judaism and applying those to uh, the professional world. And when I tried to hone in on what was really the essence of the message I wanted to communicate? Uh, I came up with ethics because 
you know, ethics is really all about relationships, about integrity, uh, about community, about society. Um, it's not enough to follow the law. It's not enough to be in compliance. We really have to orient ourselves to think about what is um, what is best for the world. And you know, I know this is something that that Judaism has in common with Zen. Yeah, the idea that we're all interconnected, everything is one ultimately. And well, that, yeah. Well, I was going to ask something you said just made me think of uh, a question. That, is it important? I, I assume it is important that you act with intention, intention as well. So like you don't just follow the law because that is the law and that's what you're expected to do, but that you actually have a motivation or intention to do good. Is that fair? Well, sure. And, and it's actually both. <laughs> okay. Um, in other words, the, the reason why we do what God said is because God said it. Right. But that's not enough. We need to try to learn why God said it. What What is the intent in the mind of God mm. so that we can try to orient our thinking mm. to be aligned with that of uh, of a higher consciousness? And that not only benefits the world, but we benefit ourselves. We transform ourselves into more spiritually and morally refined beings. Yes. Well, wow. I, I actually already could go on a tangent or a divergence that would take us down a whole rabbit hole that would be a whole nother episode that I want to ask about. But I do want to get to my questions because I, I you, that makes me want to ask like questions about, well, how can we know the intention of God? I mean, other than words that have been written in the Torah or the Talmud, and, you know, that gets debated. Well, for those 3,000 years, it's it gets debated back and forth. I, it, that's a rabbit hole I, I, I'm not quite prepared to go into, but you do already bring up interesting questions. Let me go to where I want to start, and maybe if we have time, we can go back to that stuff. So you and I uh, have been connected through Bids Catalyst, uh, I think, before our first direct uh, interaction, which was on a Zoom meeting. We may have like corresponded through comments and replies or something, but our first verbal interaction was through a Zoom meeting on the topic of the rise of anti-Semitism. Um, the first question, and this is not the big one I have, that'll come up a little later, but why do you suppose anti-Semitism is on the rise? And I I will be honest, and I'd, I'd like to be honest and frank about things here. I, I was unaware of that. Uh, I, I don't dispute it at all, um, but I didn't realize it. And I'll even add that growing up, <clears throat> I grew up in Alabama, which has its, you know, its uh, colorful reputation. And I heard my fair share of awful racist stuff, um, you know, at times. But I, I never heard. I really couldn't recall anyone ever saying or starting a sentence with it's because of the Jews or something like that. I really never heard any slanderous thing about Jewish people. And maybe that's because I didn't there weren't many Jewish people in Birmingham, Alabama. I have since grown, I've since lived in New York City and South Florida and been around plenty. But, um, you know, I never heard anything other than, you know, Mel Gibson voicemail or something like that. And so why do you suppose it is increasing rather than dissipating or, or vanishing? Well, let me start with an anecdote to address your, your point about uh, Alabama. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a, an author um, on NPR, and he was talking about how he had researched a book on 
southern plantations. And he, he went around trying to find people who were advanced in age who remembered more of the plantation era. Right. And, and he came into this sort of broken down shack of a home, a very old lady with a, appeared to be her son or her grandson who was somewhat inarticulate. And in the course of interviewing her, right in the middle of the interview, she stops and she says, what did you say your name was? And he said, Reuben. He says, what kind of a name is that? Uh, it's Jewish. Means for says, you're a Jew? And he starts to get a little nervous. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the grandson seems to be getting a little agitated, and he's not quite sure what's coming. And she says, Jews are the finest people on God's earth. <laughs> and she launches into this elegy <laughs> about how wonderful yeah. the Jews are. Yeah, he we, said he would have dismissed it as an as an isolated incident, but he said it, it happened a number of times. Yeah, and, I, and I think that there's a certain affinity that you find in communities um, that are more Christian based, deeply Christian based, as you have much of in the South, right? Uh, less sophisticated. That's true <laughs> too. The urban world that appreciate um, you know the contribution of the Jews in, in, a, in a way that's perhaps more visceral or emotional. But um, to get to your question, why is anti-Semitism on the rise? Well, there's right. a theological approach to this. I'd rather not get into it because that's a, a rabbit hole in itself. But I came across an, an article a number of years ago that really struck a chord for me in, in this topic. Um, it was written by a woman named, or about a woman named Jody Blanco, I think, um, who wrote a book about bullying. Mm-hmm. And her thesis on why some children get bullied and others become bullies is that the children who are bullied are often those, and this is based in her research, are often more mature hmm. empathically or empathetically. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a more highly developed sense of empathy that they project outward. And the children who become bullies are the ones who are less developed in their empathy. She, she actually describes and she calls it empathy deficit disorder. <laughs> and they is the, the ones who become bullies, they're intimidated. They can, they can sense the maturity of these other children. Mm-hmm. And it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them feel inadequate. Right. She, she describes these, these other children as the, the ancient child once they're young in years, but have a clarity of, of moral vision that they can't necessarily articulate because they're young, right. but they do project outwards. And that, that, that creates this, this um, sort of resentment right. on the part of the bullies. And I thought that this really describes um, in, a, in a sociological and psychological sense, the source of anti-Semitism. You know, why has this been going on for over 3,000 years? Why does it keep raising its head again and again and again? And I think one feasible argument is that the Jews are the ones who brought to the world our foundational principles of morality. If you read the non-Jewish historians, Paul Johnson and Thomas Cahill, they both say the same thing. Mm. All of the essential 
values that we take for granted today, love, kindness, peace, justice, harmony, um, charity, these are concepts that all came into the world through the Jews and Judaism. Mm. And there has always been a resistance among some, well, we want to live in a world of moral autonomy. Mm. We want to define our own values. We don't want to have higher values imposed on us because we don't want to have to live up to that standard. And that creates the resentment against the Jewish people. Now today, what's going on today? Now King Solomon says in Proverbs, right? don't move the boundaries of eternity that were set in place by your fathers. Mm. There are certain moral boundaries that have almost always been taken for granted as, as fundamental axioms of an ordered society. And today we're living in a world where virtually all of those boundaries are being torn down. So in the name of justice and kindness and, and openness. So that creates a new tension between this view of the world that let's let's open things up completely. Let's remove all those boundaries and the essence of the Jewish people as the ones who were the vehicle for putting those boundaries in place in the first place. Well, if you and, and I I know that we we want to stay away from the theological side of this, but if if you if you believe in prophecy and that this is predetermined to happen, then I guess my question would be why, I mean, I don't want to say why fight against it. Obviously, it's we should be fighting against anti-Semitism or hatred or, you know, in any form. But if it's going to happen, what why, in one sense, why wouldn't you almost want the prophecy to be fulfilled so that a Messiah might come or, or for whatever reason, what, you know, why combat it? Well, there's another rabbit hole we can go down. I know. I know. I, I knew this would the, the nature of prophecy, as we understand it, is twofold. Um, and much of prophecy is meant to be a warning. So there's a, there's a rule that has been handed down from the sages that prophecies for the good have to come true. Hmm. Prophecies of bad do not have to come true. Okay. They're warning saying, on the path that you are currently traveling, this is where you're headed. Feel free to choose to take a different path. <laughs> like, okay, all right. Well, that's and, good. And, and so anti-Semitism, and this does get into the theology, that it's a function, it's an indication that the Jewish community is not living up to its standards. Uh, I mean, okay. we just um, you know, we're recording now less than a week after the National Day of Jewish Mourning, which is a 25-hour fast mm. on the anniversary of the destruction of two temples in Jerusalem, mm. when we see that all of our suffering as a people um, is, a, is a natural consequence of our you know, um, being separated from God uh, with the destruction of the, the, the first temple and the second temple. And we're supposed to take a lesson from that. 
So it's a form of punishment then. Well, it's a punishment in the sense that that we, we you know we like to call our our prisons correctional institutions. <laughs> but you know, punishment is is not God's punishment is not punitive. Okay. Yeah, it's not punitive, it's, right? It's, it's not directional. Just, I it's, see. In other words, this you know, you you have to you know, King Solomon says, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. Right. Um if if we if there isn't some sort of accountability for misdeed, then you just continue with the misdeeds. Hmm. If you know that you're going to be held accountable, that's part of what helps keep us in line, or at least can help keep us in line. I see. Um, okay, well, let me then go to the question that I had. <laughs> and I brought it up in the meeting, but we were at like at the end of that meeting and we just, it, it, it was too much to go into. And it, it might, that might happen to us again here. And let me apologize from the outset. If my question is ignorant, if it appears that way, it's because I am, <laughs> uh, and but not from lack of trying. I, I have done a little research, and but I would like for you to explain it to me and to other Gentiles. And for people who don't know, Gentile is a, just a non-Jewish person who might have this question. Is Judaism a religion or a race? I know it's more complex than just that simple division there, but if it, it this this is the mindset I think of people who aren't Jewish. If it's religion, why is conversion more difficult than just saying, "Okay, I believe in that now, uh, I'm Jewish," uh, versus someone who's just born into it? And then, if it's a race, uh, what are the distinguishing characteristics of the Jewish race? I mean, and then what do you do about Sammy Davis Jr., who became Jewish. It's funny you mentioned him because his, his son was my best friend in first grade. So, <laughs> really, wow, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> so you, but you get the es- the essence of my question. Yeah, yeah. So help me out. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so well, first let me say that that ignorance is nothing to apologize for. We're all ignorant because there we all have things we don't know. Willful right, right. ignorance is the problem. <laughs> we that's, don't want to be educated. So, so the fact point. that you're asking the question is is uh, is already on the right track. Um, let me start sort of at the end of the question, and okay. then we'll see if we want to work our way back into a, into a, a broader context. Um, the definition of a Jew, traditionally, is either a human being born of a Jewish mother, right, or a human being who has, or let's say a previously non-Jewish person mm. who has gone through what let's call for the moment a kosher conversion. <laughs> so what makes a conversion kosher? So if you look in the book of Ruth, right, Naomi, who's the first heroine of the story, her two sons marry women from the nation of Moab who are not Jewish. And when Nomi's husband dies, they lose their fortune, the sons die, and she says, I'm going back to my people, you go back to your people. And she has two daughters-in-law, Orpah says, okay, and she kisses her and goes off, goes off. And Ruth says, where you go, I will go, where you dwell, I will dwell. Your people are my people, your God is my God. And this is the summation, really, of what it means to be a Jew. It's a commitment to national identity and to adherence to the word of God. 
as handed down, as handed down at Sinai from God to Moses. Right. And so it a convert is not required to know every single commandment and how to observe it, because really very few of us do. Um, but they but they are required to commit themselves. And with that commitment, we believe there's a spiritual transformation of the soul of that person. Mm. Any human being can choose to be a member of the Jewish people. But once you are a member, you are now an inheritor of the legacy of wisdom and blessing that God gave beginning with Abraham through the patriarchs uh, and through the generations. And you can no longer opt out. <laughs> if you can, if you were sincere when you opted in, you're in. You're in. It's a one-way, it's a one-way deal. Yeah. And so to the to the details of your question, is Judaism an ethnicity? Yes in the sense that we are descended from common ancestors. Mm -hmm. Is it a religion? Yes, <laughs> because there are requirements. But is it something different from either? Yes, because you can't opt into an ethnicity, right? and you can opt out of a religion. right? So perhaps the best model I've heard is to think of it as a family. Uh -huh. if you're born into your family you may not like your family <laughs> but you're right? but they're your family right no matter where you go no matter what you do they are always your family hmm. and but you can also marry into a family right even if you know because sometimes there's divorce people will leave a family but you never are completely separate hmm. right? you have children together you have family connections right my uh my my uncle was involved with with a, a woman for a number of years, um, and she came to all the family gatherings. And after they split up, she continued to come to the family gatherings. Yeah. And even though my uncle has now passed away, and she's uh, you know gone out, she's still apart. Yeah. <laughs> is in contact with the family yeah. because that bond was created. It doesn't automatically end. Yeah. So. This is, and so what's, what's happening when I mean, we mentioned Sammy Davis Jr., what's happened over time is that different groups within Judaism or within the Jewish people have attempted to redefine what it means to be a Jew. Mm. And so to convert without a commitment to uphold the totality of the law is not universally accepted. Yes. Okay. And of course, that creates a certain amount of tension within the Jewish community. Yeah, of course, sure. Some people would like to be considered uh, consider themselves Jews, and and others are unable to recognize that identity because it doesn't fulfill the traditional definition. Yeah. I I I have personal experience with. I mean, this was many many years ago, uh, but I had a good friend that uh, she was Jewish. But I knew more about Judaism than she did. <laughs> I, Which I, is I, not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, you know, and I did, this was immature of me and I wouldn't do this now. And I, maybe it was even disrespectful. I shouldn't have done it. But I, I, I tried the, like, well, look, I believe 
in everything, you know, that uh, Judaism upholds, so I, I'm Jewish. You know, I tried to say that. And she's like, no, you're not Jewish. You know, you didn't. And I'm like, well, I'm more Jewish than you is the way I, you know, I sort of countered her. But but I, I get it. I do. And I, I appreciate your explanation. I, I do like the analogy of the the family. I think that that does clarify it a little bit in my mind. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I mean, I grew up with no knowledge, really. Um, I hadn't heard of some of the major holidays. Right. Um, I, my bar mitzvah was never observed. Uh, I never learned the Hebrew mm. alphabet. Uh, <laughs> and it was only when I got to Israel, I was 24 years old, and that's when my Jewish education really started. Oh, wow. So it didn't make me less Jewish. Right. It just meant that I didn't know what it meant to be a Jew or to live as one. Mm. I get it. Well, uh, tell us a bit about the new book, The Spiral of Time, Discovering New Insights and Inspiration in the Jewish Calendar. Uh, what's in it for all of us, whether we're Jewish or not? Yeah, and that's that's the point I'm glad you asked, because while it, it is written, written with the Jewish community in mind, it is not written solely for a Jewish audience. Hmm. As I said in the beginning, there is so much universal wisdom in the traditions of Judaism. And I mean, we talk about the country being built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Um, what I what I like to do in the book, it's, it's a series of essays. Um, so you can really pick it up anywhere. Mm. And, you know, it, it demonstrates the deeper meaning of the individual holidays in the context of our movement through time. So the holidays are, were never intended to be seen in isolation from one another. And that's why I call it the spiral of time, oh. because life is not a circle because we don't come back to the same point. It's more of a spiral. We come back to the same point on an axis but we're in, in a different, different place. place, right? I get it. And we're moving constantly outward and ideally upward. And so I draw on my personal experiences. Some of the uh, some of the essays are a little more scholarly, but most of them, most of them were actually written for a general audience to help readers who are interested in understanding themselves, understanding the world we live in understanding what it means to live a life of purpose and higher vision uh, and then to find inspiration because I think we all need that. Absolutely. I so well, much, I'm, uh, so much I'm, negativity in the world and, and so much cause for cynicism and, and pessimism. Uh, I hope this will be a contribution to helping us uh, see the future in a brighter light. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm definitely in favor of that. So, Jonathan, I, I do a segment in most episodes, almost every episode, called Five Minutes Zen. And uh, when I'm talking with someone, I usually tailor the question for that person. And um, um, so here's your question for the five, five Minutes Zen. And what I'm looking for usually, it doesn't have to have anything to do with Zen, just uh, practical advice that the listener can think about for five minutes or can apply to their day or hopefully to their lives and make their day or their lives a little better. Here's my question for you. What, what practices from Judaism, like Shabbat came to my mind when I was thinking of this question, uh, that non-Jewish people can adopt or learn about to find moments of rest and reflection 
in their busy lives? Or put another way, what does Judaism have to say about mindfulness and living in the present moment? Pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a famous saying, I'm not sure exactly what this verse is, but um, it says the, the past is gone, the future isn't here yet, and the present will be gone in an instant. Um, so sounds very zen. <laughs> all, all, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting that that um, it says in in Genesis that Abraham, after Sarah died, Abraham married uh, a woman named Keturah and had sons, and he he gave them like gifts that. and sent them away to the east. So there is a suggestion there that Abraham may have actually had an influence on the development of Eastern philosophy. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> there is a lot in common. Yeah. Um, I mean, of, of, of the world's religions, in some ways, Zen, I think, is closer to Judaism than just about anything else. So mm. mindfulness is definitely part of, well, it's definitely on our minds. Mm. But in terms of practices, um, you mentioned uh, the Sabbath, mm -hmm. and that's a great place to start. Uh, there, there has been a, a bit of a trend. I don't know how popular it is, but the idea of taking a technology Sabbath, mm. um, I unplugging do. twenty-four hours. I, I, I absolutely do. Sometimes, really sometimes longer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in, in the observant Jewish community, we don't use anything. We don't turn lights on and off. Right. We don't drive cars. We don't use. We don't use. We didn't use our landlines. Um, and still don't. It's a complete disconnect. And the idea is that when the, when the Torah says, six days you shall work, it means for six days you're masters of the world. Well, that's a tremendous opportunity. It's also a tremendous responsibility. Right. On the seventh day, you stop. One, it relieves you of the burden of being responsible for how things are. And two, it reminds us that we are merely custodians of the world, not real masters. So there's a tremendous benefit in that kind of disconnection, especially all the psychological uh, issues that are involved with technology today. Um, it can be really liberating. Yeah, I like that. To remove oneself. Well, Janison, what what do you have going on right now? How can people find you? Uh, wh where when the book comes out, and it may be out by the time this episode comes out. I, I think they're both coming out this month. So, when it does come out, where can people find the book, and uh, how can they find out more about you? Yes, yeah, so I hope it'll be out uh, by the time this comes out. I'm I'm actually on the brink of um, setting up a new website. So okay. by the time this goes live, I certainly hope uh, it will be live. Will it still um, be under yannisongoldson.com? Well, that will direct it there, but it will okay. now be ethicsninja.com. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. And then people don't have to worry about how to spell Yannison. Yeah, I was going to say, people will probably be able to spell that a little easier. Good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that's in the works. Um, I'm in the midst of creating a, a one-man show. Uh, nice. Which is going to debut, uh, God willing, on September 12th. For your listeners in St. Louis, uh, keep an eye out. Wow, awesome! And I hope I hope that will then go on to to other other venues. Uh, and I have an audio version of my book, Proverbial Beauty, hmm. that uh, I just got the final 
files in the mail this morning. Oh, so you you read it? I read it. Yes. Okay. Oh, excellent. Oh, I I always like uh, audiobooks that the author read instead of yeah, an, an actor you, or it was, something. It was, it was not. It was not a. Uh, <laughs> it was not an easy process. Um, yeah. When I was looking through your books too, that was the one that really, I mean, they all seem very appealing and interesting, but I, you know, if I were going to pick one first to read, it was that one, the, uh, what's the title? Proverbial, Proverbial beauty. beauty. It's yeah. secrets for success and happiness from the wisdom of the ages. It's, it yes. takes ex- excerpts from the book of Proverbs okay, and applies them practically in our lives. Not, that's why I think it applies. Uh, appeal to me when I read that description because I'm all about practical solutions. <laughs> and, uh, so. Yeah, well, that, that one has a special place in my heart. Um, oh, good. It, my wife gave me the idea of it and, and I sat down and, and it kind of wrote itself. The first draft I finished in two months. Nice. And it's um, it's something that I think anybody can easily relate to. Mm. Uh, and so the audio version will be available and, and uh, all the, everything will be linked on my website, ethicsninja.com. Okay. So we're there. And uh, of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Okay. Um, and always, uh, always grateful for the engagement. Awesome. Well, I will link that stuff. I'll put uh, um, ethicsninja.com down and, uh, and link your uh, LinkedIn profile so people can follow you. Well, um, that is all folks. Uh, go check out ethicsninja.com. Go check out the TED Talk on YouTube. Um, and I, I'll link that one as well. And uh, when it comes out, it, it might be out when you're hearing this. Uh, go buy The Spiral of Time, Discovering New Insights and Inspiration in the Jewish Calendar. It's for everybody, not just uh, the Jewish community. And after you do that, go buy the book first. But after you do that, if you have a couple of bucks left over, you can help out Zen Samich. Uh, continue its journey of finding more interesting stories and experts. Go to zensamich.com and find out how you can help this show um, with just a one-time donation. Just a few bucks helps pay the bills. Rabbi Yonason, uh, thank you so much for your time and insight. I, I knew it would be an enlightening experience and that we wouldn't get to everything I've, I've got. Uh, I'll have to have you back on, but I'm very grateful for your time today. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure.